Welcome to the Aesthetic Doctor Podcast. We don't shy away and keep secrets here. We empower you with education, telling you the truth about all things aesthetic medicine while encouraging you to be the best version of yourself. It's time to look great and feel good doing it. This is your host, mom, speaker, and board-certified physician, Dr. Judith Forger. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 45 of the Aesthetic Doctor Podcast. I'm Dr. Borger, and today we're going to be talking about melasma, which is a fairly common condition where I think there's a lot of education needed because it's a complex one. And to talk to us about melasma, we have not only one, but two board-certified dermatologists here. Please join me in welcoming the co-founders of Clear. Clara Dermatology in Chapel Hill, Dr. Rebecca Bylas, and Dr. Joanna Hooten. They both completed their dermatology residency at Duke University in North Carolina. They're both board certified dermatologists. They have both done extensive research work and authored medical journal articles. They're accomplished laser surgeons and they're today's experts. I could not be more thrilled to welcome these two amazing women and doctors to the podcast. And on top of that, they're beautiful, they're fun, they're smart, and they're a powerhouse. So Dr. Bylas, Dr. Hooten, welcome, and I can't wait for our discussion on melasma. Hello, hello. As I said, we have a total treat here. We don't have just one, but two board-certified dermatologists. So hello, Dr. Bylas and Dr. Hooten. How are you today? Hi, Hi. we're great. Thank Glad you for having here. us. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, um, you know, we're going to talk about melasma today, and I feel like melasma is one of those things that is like the bane of the existence of the sufferers. And you and I, um, we're both in North Carolina, we're sort of practically neighbors. And especially with the amount of sun and the amount of heat that people get in melasma, uh, I'm sorry, in North Carolina, melasma is just such a huge problem. So thank you so much for coming to talk about it. Yeah, we're glad to talk about it because like you, we see a lot of women in particular yeah. with melasma. And so it, it can be a really rewarding thing to treat uh, and also very frustrating for a lot of patients. So I think- So we're here to kind of clear some things up and bust some myths and really explain to people what melasma is, what it isn't, what are realistic treatment expectations and what aren't. So just starting out, what is melasma? Well, melasma is sort of a um, muddy brownish discoloration of the skin. Some people, maybe in, you might have heard it called the mask of pregnancy. And it has been called that because it's related to hormones. But that is a bit of a misnomer because men can get melasma as well. So typically it's this sort of muddy brown discoloration commonly on the upper face, like forehead, cheekbones, around the eyes. And it's due to a combination of, as I said, hormones and typically sun exposure as well. Mm -hmm. It can also encompass the neck, I think. Yeah. Um, and then there's a certainly a genetic predisposition in darker skin tones in the Asian um, and Latin American continents tend to have a little bit more of 
predominance of it. And I think there have been some studies showing even first degree relatives that have a good case of melasma can have a 50% incidence in first degree relatives. So I think those are also important things to keep in mind as far as risk factors. Yeah, you actually just went into my second question already with this. So in terms of what predisposes people to melasma, so we've covered genetic, um, we've covered hormones, like we said, it is not exclusive to pregnancy and it's not exclusive to the sort of mask like that is described. Um, you know, we've talked about sun and heat exposure. Um, we've talked about um genetic stuff, what other, or Asian descent, which is also genetic risk factor, what other things come to mind in terms of what makes people get melasma? I think, I think you've hit all of the yeah. main ones. I, the yeah. biggest ones are sun. I mean, and what we'll get into later, I'm sure when we talk about our approach to treatment, I mean, UV light is the, the biggest thing, I think. And then a predisposition, which is commonly hormonal fluctuations. So mm -hmm. I mean, to be a little bit more specific, but I think pregnancy, menopause, contraceptive pills, yeah. again, those don't happen in men so much, but in women, we tend to see those corresponding to times of development yeah. or more prominence of the pigmentation. So I would say those are the two biggest risk factors in my opinion. I agree. And um, even though we have talked about that men can get it as well, which some people might not be aware of, um, as far as I understand it, it has a very sort of female predominance overall, correct? Yes, yeah, that's true. All right. So now are there different types of melasma? I think that I consider melasma to be multifactorial mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> from a pathologic standpoint of what factors are going on in the skin, but I usually consider it to be a specific diagnosis. What do you think? I agree. I don't categorize it as different subtypes, um, but we definitely like to make sure that when we're talking about melasma and its causes that we address all of the variables that contribute to it. Mm -hmm. So I agree. Multifactorial is a good word. Yes. And for those lay persons, it just means caused by a variety of factors, you know, like there's not just one thing that pinpoints it, but it's a combination of others. Of course, if you are pregnant or having hormonal fluctuation and you have the genetic risk factor and you go out baking in the sun, that's sort of like three things that would definitely put you at the highest risk. Mm -hmm. um, you briefly went into sort of your approach and your treatment. Would you tell our listeners more about that? Yeah, I would take a step back and talk about what happens at a cellular level first. Yes, please do, please do. Within the environment of the skin. So what we see is the muddy brown discoloration and pigment, but um, and what pigment comes from the cells that make pigment are melanocytes. So those are the primary pigment producers. Um, but what we have come to know over the past you know few decades is that it's a very complex interaction between the resident skin cells called keratinocytes the melanocytes the vascular cells or the endothelial cells and then other inflammatory cells like mast cells and so there's a very complex interaction between the stimulate the external stimulants like sunlight and hormones that stimulate a very complicated interaction between all these cells that causes the increased pigment deposition in the skin. So with that in mind, I think we then want to approach treatment and have newer options for treatment in for each variable. Mm -hmm. 
if that makes sense. Yeah. And then in terms of approaching treatment, I mm -hmm. think that there are sort of different um, modalities that are commonly used. And the first one that we usually talk about with patients are topicals. Topical creams uh, can be things that are prescription and can include hydroquinone, for example, which is a, a traditional lightening agent. And then there is a whole host of more sort of botanical based ingredients that we now know can be great at evening out the skin tone as well. Mm -hmm. And that can include things like azelaic acid, um, kojic acid. It can include some other things like arbutinin, um, mm -hmm. those kinds of things that you would be putting on topically. And that can be a good place to start. When it needs a little bit stronger topical preparation, we will typically have a, a cream compounded that contains a high strength of hydroquinone with some tretinoin as well, which is a retinoid. And that can help to have the skin cells turn over a little bit more quickly. Um, and then uh, ours also has some kojic acid in it as well. So combination products can be a good place to start. And I think that um, <clears throat> the hydroquinone, the kojic acid, the arbutin, those inhibit melanin synthesis. So that gets at the pigmentation that I was alluding to earlier. And then for the vascular component, the increased blood vessels, that's another target that we can use to help improve that because if you can only improve the pigment the blood vessels are still overactive that'll continue to stimulate the melanocytes to produce the more pigmentation so we can use things like topical steroids if we're talking about topicals adding a topical steroid to some of the compounded creams that can help and have been shown to be more effective than just the pigment suppressors in general and um, then we can, uh, yeah what about um, vitamin C? I feel like a lot of the products also try to contain some vitamin C. Is there any evidence for vitamin C helping? I think that that's a great point because another area is antioxidants. So mm -hmm. I think we both recommend that our patients use vitamin C every day to protect our skin from the free radicals and the stressors in the environment as an antioxidant shield. So I think antioxidants, because they can protect, protect from the UV light and from environmental stressors, play a key role in stabilizing and preventing um, some of the damage that can stimulate melasma. And vitamin C is the most common one. There are right. other ones that are green tea derivatives and plenty of including, you know, even zinc can be more antioxidant driven. So I think that definitely plays a role in, in the protective component of treating melasma. Yeah. And in every patient, every patient needs a vitamin C antioxidant. All right. Take home point number one, whether you're suffering from melasma or not, every patient needs a vitamin C. Um, and, and I just wanted to say, I love how you guys talk about it because I think it really gives our listeners such a impression of why it's so important to go to an expert, right? Is to not just like order some random stuff online and just slap it on your face that there's people like you out there that really dedicate their lives to studying this on such a deep level. And I guess I'm wondering if this complex cycle you ever had to draw on a whiteboard to study for some boards, you know, <laughs> but totally, <laughs> right? All the cycles we used to draw at some point and knew how to draw. <laughs> yeah, you know that there's really a lot of informed decision making that goes in there, and also that like one size approach doesn't fit all. 
Right. Yeah. We, we take a tailored approach to every patient. And right. I think that really starts with listening to them, knowing what their history is, delving in with specific questions that come only from, you know, experience and studying and, and real world experience. Um, and then formulating a plan. I mean, and often there's, as you said, that plan changes based yeah. on response and knowing mm -hmm. how to tailor it after the first application is important too. Mm -hmm. And also then things like how much is the patient willing to do? Like what's their budget? You know, are they going to be compliant? Like, are they going to do X, Y, Z? Um, do any, does smoking affect the, the um, melasma sort of the incidence of melasma at all? I usually say with smoking, my it, smoking is pro-inflammatory. Yeah. So it's going to increase all of the underlying inflammation in your entire body and anything that has inflammation as part of it, which is most every skin condition can be exacerbated by smoking. So, yeah. I mean, I think it does play a role. I don't know how much research has defined that, but I'm certain that it does. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so we've hit the topicals. So that's sort of first line. And most of the time, that's sort of a, you know, a sort of an easy way if somebody comes to your office, you evaluate them, you either, you know, compound prescribe or whatever them a topical to use. Um, what are some of the other options for treatment? Well, we like to layer here, as we mm -hmm. mentioned. So we will often have someone start on a topical and then offer a procedural type treatment as well. So that could look like a chemical peel. That is something that we commonly use in melasma. And um, time of year matters here. So you were saying, you know, that there's lots of reasons to go see a specialist and um, there's lots of things to consider. One thing to consider is time of year. So we will tell a lot of our melasma patients to come in for a chemical peel in the later fall here in North Carolina. That usually means like, you know, end of October by the time. <laughs> not Labor Day. Yeah. yeah, but a chemical peel is not something you want to do in the midst of summer when you're getting sun. So after things have cooled down a bit, a chemical peel is a way that we can use higher strength um, alpha and beta hydroxy acids, some other antioxidants, um, either alone or in combinations to do a nice peel and to really lift up some of that pigment from the skin. Again, we like to have patients pre-treat with a lightening agent before the peel to get best results. So that's another reason to sort of layer these treatments. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and then other procedural yeah. things. I The other two things that I typically discuss at upfront, because I like to give a broad array of what the landscape looks like and then you know narrow our approach but microneedling is another great option for um for patients and you know we are we make new channels that collagen can then get stimulated in and i like to often put tranexamic acid which is something uh, one of the ingredients we haven't talked about um, but it's a great treatment, both topically and orally for melasma patients. But I like to put that on after microneedling. And that has shown, I mean, it's wonderful. And you get a little bit of collagen boost along with that. So it's often twofold, but it's very helpful for melasma patients. And then vascular laser, as I talked about earlier, the blood vessels are increased in melasma skin and they contribute to this back and forth stimulation of pigment production. And by treating those vessels with a laser that targets those and diminishes the 
the concentration of them can really help too. So those are two other mm -hmm. modalities that I think can be really helpful. And then oral tranexamic acid. Yeah. Yes, oral tranexamic acid is a relatively new treatment uh, mm -hmm. that we have started to use off-label for melasma. So it is often used to control bleeding in the operating room or for women with heavy menstrual periods. And we found, actually, we don't truly know how it's working in melasma, but we think that it's because it has an effect on the vascular component of melasma. And so it's a pill that you can take by mouth Typically, people will take it twice a day, and uh, you can take it for short periods of time to sort of clear the melasma. Um, more and more people are having patients take it over longer periods of time to stay clear. Um, and it's a great way to, again, fade that pigment, and we think it works by targeting the vasculature. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Um, yeah, you know, one of the things I want to talk about, too, in terms of treatments and I love everything that you brought up and you know in our office we have a melasma peel as well and we pre-treat uh, with hydroquinone you know we microneedle um, with some TXA as well um, and then you know the the only so the one thing I would love for you to address is you know we I think especially if you have melasma you have to be really careful to not go to somebody who will hit you with the wrong kind of laser or who will mistake your melasma because they're not as knowledgeable for like sunspots and hit you with an IPL. You know, the only yeah. other laser that we use um, that there has been some evidence for is like the 1550 Frax wavelength. Mm -hmm. Um, and so out of, you know, my lasers, the only ones that I will use are the ones with the high, high wavelengths, because mm -hmm. there has been some evidence too, that they can help melasma, but, but really what I've seen, and, and again, because this is sort of a medical educational podcast is that I really want, would love to briefly address how important it is to go to somebody who knows what they're drawing and they're not going to see your brown and be like, oh, all brown can be targeted with an IPL because that is like the worst yeah. thing you can do for somebody's melasma. Yeah. And I think we agree. <laughs> intense pulse light is what IPL stands for. And that's visible light. And so um, UV and visible light can worsen melasma. So it is very important to have somebody who knows what laser technologies can be helpful and what can be harmful and to be able to have that discussion with you mm -hmm. um, so i think that is critically important mm -hmm. which is yeah. it's not an uncommon thing i would say we get a lot of melasma mm -hmm. patients who come in and ask about using a laser to treat their melasma so there is a, a lot of education to be done there and sometimes it can be tricky to, um, you know, talk with a patient about what kind of pigment they have and get to the root of what the issue really is. Mm -hmm. um, but you're right, we definitely don't like to use IPL for melasma. I think we as dermatologists are getting better at figuring out which wavelengths and which devices are safe in melasma. And there are some, as you mentioned, that you can use with the right settings in experienced hands and get good outcomes. But in general, I think that you've got to be careful mm -hmm. with lasers and especially um, anything that produces heat yes. can also be a trigger for melasma. Yeah. And I, I always also say backing up all the way to almost the beginning um, that I, there's not a cure for melasma. We are not curing it. We are controlling it and suppressing it in the single most important 
thing is sun protection. I mean, that mm -hmm. is the cornerstone of all of these treatments to be successful. So without that, none of this, I mean, it's all a drop in the bucket if you yeah. can't do that. It's almost like we scripted it because that was actually going to be what yeah. I was going to go in next is that, you know, I think some of it is also realistically to set expectations that even if you can clear somebody's skin up and you can clear it up quite dramatically, you know, it's not a, you're destroying the melasma forever and it will never, ever come back. Um, like you said, you know, we're controlling it, but for people that are prone to melasma, it is a chronic recurrent thing, correct? Right. Mm -hmm. They will always have the tendency for it. Mm -hmm. Always. And yes, another plug for sun protection. Tell us why sun protection and what kind of sun protection you recommend personally. Well, Joanna alluded to this, but basically we want to make sure that we're protecting against both UV light and visible mm -hmm. light. So what we prefer for the UV part of that is a physical blocker. Typically mm -hmm. we'll recommend products made with zinc oxide and titanium yeah. dioxide. Mm -hmm. um, they give the most broad spectrum protection against ultraviolet light. And then the key part is that you want it to be tinted because the tint is made with iron oxide mm -hmm. and iron oxide is a compound that protects against visible light. So oh, I have no idea. Yeah. Like this, yeah. I just learned something. This is amazing. <laughs> Keep going. Good. So, right. So a tinted physical blocker, which is, it's great. I mean, it's doing double duty because a lot of times a physical blocker can leave a little bit of a whitish white look on your mm -hmm. skin. So you almost want that tint in there for cosmetic purposes anyway. But it's really serving the purpose of blocking visible light, which we know can also contribute to melasma in the skin. Mm -hmm. um, so a good, we say SPF 30 or higher, mm -hmm. uh, physical blocker that contains a tint. That's what you want to use every day, even when it's rainy, even when you don't think you're going to go outside, you've got to get into the habit of putting it on your whole face. And as Joanna said, that really is the cornerstone of any of these other treatments that we're going to layer on top. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they can also do a blocker with a, a tinted powder um, so that they're getting a layering effect, mm -hmm. but that is essentially the same, similar <laughs> idea. I think I discuss barrier clothing a lot too. So wide brimmed hats and I mean, we're talking about the face, so rash guards are not going to be effective for that, but wide brimmed hats and things that shield the actual sun from hitting you, anything that creates shade, I think is really important too. Avoidance in peak hours, from here, I feel like it's nine to five, but <laughs> traditionally 10 to four. And then I like to recommend some herbal supplements too. This is going back to the antioxidant um, protection that can Tell help. Us which ones. Mm -hmm. Heliocare or mm -hmm. something like Inner Glow, which have a lot of antioxidants in addition to polypodium leucomoides, which is a fern extract that is essentially an antioxidant that provides a provided low baseline SPF for hours, not enough to protect you without putting sunscreen on, but an additive bump in your SPF protection. Yeah, we, we carry Helo Care too. Yeah. So I love that you just shouted that out. <laughs> um, yeah, that's awesome. What else did we not, I mean, I feel like this is like a jam-packed episode so far already. What else about melasma did we not cover? I think we covered a lot yeah. of it. I would say, you know, you want to find a dermatologist that you really have a good relationship with, because mm -hmm. this is going to be something that 
you're working on, you know, for years and you're going to get into a rhythm where, you know, maybe every fall you come in for your peel and then you do some microneedling and, you know, throughout the summer you're using your topicals. So I, I think it's just really important to stress that you want to find somebody who you feel comfortable with, who, you know, you're going to be able to work out something that works for you in your life um, to keep your, your skin clear. And, and also I love that there's, you know, just again, that stressing of expectations that it's not a cure. It's sort of like aging will always progress, right? <laughs> we'll always get some sort of UV exposure, no matter how hard we try. Um, and really there is no true cure for melasma. Yeah. Right. But there are lots of ways we can improve it. So yes. you should not give up hope and definitely, you know, come in and, and meet with a dermatologist who can help you talk yeah. through all these options. Yeah, we have Definitely. had great success and it's a yeah. very rewarding condition yeah. to treat. And we have lots of happy patients. <laughs> um, and and I love that we talked about all this because I think too, like it tells people how much that can be done because you know they might have ordered like one cream online ever and it didn't work and then they've totally given up and been like oh this is just what my face has to be so yeah. just the fact that you know you alluded to all of these treatment modalities that in skilled hands like yours can really make a huge 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 improvement <laughs> so questions yeah. I ask everybody especially as you do a lot of cosmetic dermatology what is your favorite procedure each to get and to perform oh that's a good question yeah I well I am trying to this year I've been really trying to have some light co2 resurfacing mm -hmm. done throughout the year um it's great for collagen stimulation and I I also like to do that mm -hmm. I like yeah. Vascular laser and microneedling a lot too. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite treatments to perform is what we call the photofacial, which is IPL or BBL broadband light. And I think that is a really yeah. fun thing to do, not for melasma, but mm -hmm. uh, great for sunspots. I'm also a big fan of Sculptra. Mm -hmm. I love how natural it looks and how great of a job it does just doing full face volume restoration. Those are yeah. two, of, two of my favorites. I love those two. It's yeah. hard to pick. <laughs> it's hard to pick. I know it is hard to pick. What about to get? So you said CO2, what is your favorite yeah. to get? Yeah, okay. I think the laser resurfacing is my favorite to get. I think it really gives you such a nice glow afterwards. And you know that you're like in it for the long game, like you're stimulating mm -hmm. collagen for the future. Mm -hmm. I think it's important that it's the same as melasma. It's all a long-term process. So a couple times a year for five to 10 years from now is when it really, well, sooner than that, but it really shows. And also Botox. I mean, yeah, we love seriously. our Botox. Normally the answer people are like, with or without toxin, because yeah. I don't want to go without my toxin. Yeah. So, I just, yeah. I just this point, right? to, it's already implicated that that is like everybody's go-to. Well, thank you so much. Now for my listeners in the um, greater triangle area, would you just share like how they can find you? What kind of a practice you have and what are the ways to connect with you? And we'll obviously put everything in the show notes. Absolutely. We are a practice in Cary. We serve Durham, Raleigh, Chapel Hill. Um, and our website is claradermatology.com. That's where you can find all of our treatments and uh, pricing. 
We also are on Instagram at Clara.derm and Facebook as well. And TikTok. And TikTok. Um, and we try to be really active in those in those mm -hmm. locations and post a lot of our work. Mm -hmm. um, it's really easy. Our website is very easy yeah. to it's a navigate. Website, by the way. It's very easy to book online, mm -hmm. but we're happy to respond to emails or DMs anytime too. We're very Absolutely. active and engaged in that. Absolutely. And well, we do, you. you know all dermatology i think that was another yeah so. oh yes you guys do all sorts of dermatology mm -hmm. you yeah. do a lot of cosmetics but you do a lot of non-cosmetics as well correct yes. yeah <laughs> all right well thank you so much um thank you for clearing up everything about melasma this was really such a treat um my listeners and i because i get we get so many questions and you know one of the biggest reasons for me for having this podcast is also that i feel like people get so much education from social media tiktoks mm -hmm. you know we laugh about tiktok but it's amazing how somebody with like 10 gazillion tiktok followers can put something crazy on tiktok yeah. and suddenly like everybody believes them yeah. and so i just love the opportunity to really kind of get the information from some experts for our patients and to just really be able to educate. So thank you so much. We are so happy to yeah. have been here. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you for listening to the Aesthetic Doctor podcast with Dr. Judith Border. We'd love to connect with you outside of the show. Follow Dr. Border on Instagram at Dr. Border and find more online and ways to work with Dr. Border at www.theaestheticdoctor.com. Until next time, be well.